boom, when that bass drops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, or really anything. If you're out walking the dog, maybe you're in traffic, commuting to work, whatever it is, doing chores. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace. Squarespace brings the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who always plans his vacations the same time I do, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Well, it's less planning and more like, oh, you're here too, Jeff? How weird. (laughs) I guess since we're both here, let's push some tables together. Well, we were both on vacation this weekend. How cool was that? It was pretty nice. My, well, I don't, mine was nice. I hope yours was as well. <laughs> mine was crazy. I was with uh, 22 family members in one cabin uh, with with one bathroom. So 22 people, one bathroom, lots of little kids. It was, uh, you know, roughing well, it. A lot of digging holes in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, using trees. Uh, but man... Um, this is going to be a fun show. We got we got a lot of really juicy, interesting topics to dive into. We got games to talk about. It's our first regular show post E3, and we're going to do a little post E3 retrospective, talking about some trends coming out of that show. And we have just a fantastic guest. It's probably the perfect guest to do this with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so pleased because once again, DLC stands for dissecting leisure culture because we have the (laughs) managing editor of feminist frequency carolyn pettit is back with us again hey carolyn hey gosh hey thanks so much for having me it's great to be back here yeah yeah oh my gosh it's the perfect week to have you uh an uh, an article you were co-author on has uh been talked about a lot we're going to talk about it and i'm so pleased to have you here to do that among many other topics uh so let's dive right in and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com or... By sending us an email, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can send an email about stories of the week or anything that's on your mind you'd like us to know about. Carolyn, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, sure. I, I wonder if you'll pick your own story. <laughs> well, but- you know what? I'll, I'll leave that for the for the moment. I, I, um, I, I'm going to kind of wing this one. I didn't really think this through so much, but, um, but I, I really have to say that for me, um, coming out of E3 – uh, the, there isn't, there isn't really one little story, but I guess it's all of the different conversations around cyberpunk, um, mm, Project yeah. Red's game. There were just so many different angles at which, uh, t- people kind of, um, talked about that game, looked at that game, uh, maybe raised concerns or issues about that game. 
Um, you know, I mean, on one hand, you have uh, the hottest uh, star of the moment, Keanu Reeves, coming out on stage to uh, to introduce the game to uh, it, to reveal its its release date. Uh, he had, you know, uh, he was one of the most sort of real and authentic moments of E3, getting to say things like, uh, you know, you're breathtaking, and um, <laughs> just the way he says even the title of the game, cyberpunk, like, <laughs> you know, everything, uh, people just understood, standably, just, just adored everything to do with that, but, you know, then it's like, um, you also have uh, a game in which, like, uh, one of the big kind of interesting things theoretically about a cyberpunk game is all the different kinds of characters that you can be in that world and the ways that you can play and everything. And yet, you know, we, we see the box art and it's like, you know, unfortunately, it's like almost the most like generic, like white guy with a gun box art you can imagine. And it's like, what is the decision there? Why out of why are, you know, are they afraid of like alienating people if they show a different version of the protagonist? There was clearly some thinking there. There was a, a lot of conversation around an ad that uh, an in-game world ad for a product that um, that uh, uh, it features a transgender model, uh, and um, uh, which a, a lot of people raise the concern that. Um, you, you know, well, this image is going to perpetuate transphobia. CD Projekt Red's response to that was sort of like, well, we're trying to sh- depict transphobia or show how in this world this person is exploited. But the the reality is that depicting the exploitation of a trans person, it, I, I mean, we don't know what, how that's going to land in the final game, but unless you're somehow very deliberately commenting on that, layering stuff around that to make it clear that you're being critical of that and not just replicating it, you might just be, you know, you might just be perpetuating the objectification of trans people. You know, maybe that's not your intention, but you may end up doing that. And so I guess what's so fascinating to me about cyberpunk is that it's, it sort of reveals just um, like, all the, the the different kinds of um, political, you know, socio-political concerns that um, games can raise right now, the way we can be super excited about them, the way we can be thinking critically about them, the way we can maybe be wary of them, the way that devs maybe, um, certainly not just CDPR, but I think maybe, I think Ubisoft has kind of stumbled in this regard in the past, may use politically charged for lack of a better term imagery or subject matter in their games but not really think about how to best handle the messaging around it like why they're doing it and what the intention is and how it's going to be uh framed within the game so it's just um i don't know to me it's a fascinating kind of microcosm of like all this all these kinds of conversations happening in games right now but all hovering around just one particular extremely highly anticipated game yeah no i think you i think you framed it very very well it is the white hot spotlight on the by far most talked about most highly anticipated title coming out of e3 uh probably in the in, the top, if not the top two or three most anticipated titles of 2020. Uh, so it's going to get a lot of 
discussion regardless, but because of how this game uh, depicts its world and how complex its world is, uh, I think it's getting even more of that discussion. It's funny, you know, it's it's a game based on a property that was made in 1988 that is being made in 2019 and is set in 2077, right? <laughs> right. So there are lots of, it's fraught with, you know, with uh, anachronisms and things that, how does it play now versus how should it play in the future? All that stuff is is very interesting. And, and you bring up several, uh, there that is only really scratching the surface. I mean, the, there was a lot of um, the African-American representation in what they showed at E3 that was questionable and and yes. project red has come out and say, you know these this group of um a gang uh, called the animals that yeah go ahead yeah no exactly no i'm, I'm just saying like yeah that's another example of what i'm of what i'm getting at right yeah there. All of, mm-hmm. and you and you wonder you know uh i think we, we have another story coming up that i that i'd like to talk about about how games have changed and what responsibility publishers might have to making games more, even games that are being remade, uh, more relevant for today. And here's a, a property, an IP that comes out of 1988, which was a very different time. And yeah. yet it, it's clear that CD Projekt Red is making something for today and has a responsibility to the audiences of today. Um, so what do you think, Carolyn, of how they've handled that stuff so far? Uh, I, I I think that um, that I feel like industry wide there we're still it feels like we're still in this period of sort of growing pains yes. associated with this increasing level of like sophistication in terms of the, the the conversations around what's happening in games and that you know the um, that uh, say the messaging around um, so the the trans the the ad in game with the trans model left for me, you know, as a trans person, a lot to be desired because it didn't seem to me that, um, that the, uh, uh, while I, I, I fully believe that the artist's intentions were, are good and that she, you know, created this image with the intentions of, of kind of highlighting how a, a particular population within that world might be, uh, uh sort of dehumanized or objectified. Um, I just feel like, um, uh, like there is still so much growth that needs to be done in terms of understanding, um, say why, um, why, uh, showing, um, the, uh, objectification, the fetishization or dehumanization of, uh, an individual or, or a group in a game isn't necessarily like pushing back against that or critically commenting on it because, if, if a let's say a transphobic player like let's say you know a a, a young you know player who who ha- has negative attitudes about trans people comes to cyberpunk 2077 and just happens to see that ad in the game and um uh, you know all things all other things being equal like that person is just going to sort of laugh at the ad or like nod and be like yeah that's gross or whatever and feel like in a sense, the world is, is, um, is supporting or reinforcing their perception about trans people rather than what I hope the game ultimately does, which it absolutely could do. And, you know, if there are trans, maybe there are trans characters who are integral to the narrative, who are very humanized, who you have to like work with and, uh, 
be associated with and, and get to know where what I want ultimately, you know, is an experience that say a, a person who brings transphobic attitudes to the game feels those attitudes pushed back against, like feels them challenged in some way. I want that person to be made uncomfortable on some level or forced to reassess their attitudes rather than just seeing sort of stuff in the world building that may not um, may not do that, may not challenge that. And so right. I, I think that as these conversations continue happening, I suspect, or at least I hope, um, I, I like to be optimistic about these things, that developers uh, will, in, will um, think more um, deliberately, more strategically, more thoroughly about these kinds of things and be able to handle the messaging around them better. I, I don't, I think it's understandable that there's stumbling happening at this point because um, because there's been, I think, a, a lot of change in, in just the past several years about how games are, are discussed. And, and I understand that it takes a little time to find footing in, in the, in these new uh, spaces, but um, yeah, it, it, so I'm not satisfied, but I'm also not sort of um, bringing out the pitchforks and torches and saying, you know, burn it all down. I'm saying, I'm saying, learn from your mistakes and, you know, let's just keep moving forward with this. And hopefully what you end up, putting out will be will be really great yeah yeah no i think that's well said um it reminds me a bit of of something like the wolf of wall street right where you know they clearly the the point of that movie is to show this monster and yet some people watch it and go yeah no my worldview is reinforced because look how happy right. this guy is you know yes yeah, yeah yeah and i mean that's you know that's been an issue in media i mean for uh you know forever i mean i um i think um I want to say Sam Peckinpah or like some director of notably like violent films, um, you know, uh, classic films. I, I remember very distinctly, um, you know, uh, intended, of course, for his films to be a, a kind of commentary on violence and was was very dismayed to find that there were, you know, not insignificant swaths of audience members who reveled in the sort of depictions of violence that he thought were were functioning critically right. and you know this is this is just part of it's it's always part of the conversation that we need to be having around this stuff and um and now you know uh media i mean film i think and television to some extent and and books i think have had these kinds of conversations around them for a lot longer but it's still relatively new to games and um and and you know a lot of a lot of people uh in who make games. A lot of people who work in games or work around games are still kind of, um, scrambling to, uh, to adjust and that, and that's understandable. Yeah. Uh, Christian, I know that in our discussion of cyberpunk, uh, even in discussing whether it should be our game of the show, which it ultimately was not, uh, you expressed a lot of these, these kinds of concerns. Uh, what, what is your feeling now as we've, you know, had a week or so to mull on them further? I mean, they're still largely in the same place. I, I, I do try to separate art from artist, and I, there's a large team working on this game that is not just, you know, individuals or the in, an individual who has been in their PR or social media department. But unfortunately, they have a track record of not great jokes um, or, or this, jokes that yes. are depth of tone. And so, you know, if when you look at that, it's like, hmm, this... Thing quacks 
This thing <laughs> waddles. It's a duck. It's a duck, you guys. It, this is a duck. Like, and then hopefully, as Carolyn mentioned, you know, we'll see in the future that people can change or things can change. There might be a larger thing there, but nothing that's happened in this past week or so has has changed any of that for me personally. What I find interesting, and Carolyn hit on this a little bit as well, um, and I wanted to circle back to it some, is in this game that appears to be, um, you know, create your own story adventure, be your own uh, protagonist and stuff, uh, that it it is such a generic box art and collector's edition representation of who the protagonist is. And I, and I think it's fascinating when a game... You know, they want to sell the game, so they need to put something on the cover to sell it for audiences to identify with or attach to. But when a game allows for so much customization, or we've been told, and who you can play as to then sell a $250 or whatever it is, you know, motorcycle replica protagonist on top of it that looks like the way it looks in the game, I think that goes a long way to saying how a lot of players or how to some extent the company views the protagonist in the game. And I, I'm, I'm curious um, anecdotally how many players, you know, would buy into that um, uh, collector's edition and then make their character very different from this statue they have on their shelf. And certainly this isn't the first game to do that where, you know, mass effect uh, shepherd uh, as a female was called fem Shep <laughs> in, in common uh, conversation about the game. And, the other shepherd was never called male Shep. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting in how games advertise or pick a protagonist or a version of a character to sell when they're also trying to sell this idea of be anyone play as any way. I think it's fascinating. It, it, it does feel like, yeah, it feels like they, I mean, if I had to put myself in the, in the mindset or the, you know, the shoes of like whoever the, you know, the, the, the suits or the, you know, board member, well, whoever is in charge of like ultimately kind of making these marketing kinds of decisions, it to me it seems like the guiding psych- psychology there is something along the lines of, well, you know, the the straight male, white, you know, mostly white, mostly straight, mostly male, like fans, um, they're the ones who um, are. We don't want to alienate them too much by you know we want to make it clear that they are still the the, um, our our you know core demographic who we think of when we make when we make these games because and and you know from a PR slash financial standpoint that may make a kind a kind of cynical sense because yes um, as we see with so many different things uh, uh, you know be it not just video games but Star Wars movies or comic books or what have you like there is a contingent there that will lash out very angrily if they feel like their position of prominence is in any way being kind of threatened. And all, but also like, Oh, and um, the other demographics will, you know, are used to being kind of not the default. They are used to being sort of the, uh, you know, they can make themselves represented in the game if they want to. And, and that to them will be enough and um, we can still just sort of center the white male, uh, you know, defaultish figure, um, and uh, that's like the safest bet. Um, you know, whereas like I would love for them to be a little more bold, take a risk, and you know, create you know the de- default uh, marketing 
images of the or what's the protagonist uh, and whatever the protagonist's name is, I'm blanking on it right now. I think it is V. Um, yeah, V. Yeah, you know that are wildly different from the what we, what we see uh, in the in the in the box art and in the in the um, the collector's edition statue. Like my heart sank when I saw that that figure, the the collector's edition. I mean, I wasn't about to shell out two hundred fifty dollars for the collector's edition anyway, but it it just it was just so predictable and just so. Oh, we're still we're still there, huh? Like that's really where we're where we're still at. Like we have to we have to play it that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I think ultimately, if if I'm gonna find a silver lining about this, it's it's what you have kind of brought up already, Carolyn, which is the fact that video games are in this place culturally, artistically, where we have these conversations by necessity because they are so prominent and so much a part of the the zeitgeist and the culture at large uh is a good thing right that's a good thing and these conversations are good to have they're if you are making a piece of art that is this mass market in 2019 slash 2020 you need to have these kinds of conversations the if you want a a large audience you should think about what that audience is and i i think that is a uh i think that is a a positive that that this hobby now has that kind of attention, has people like yourself making these kinds of um, arguments and bringing up these kinds of topics. And I, I think that dovetails nicely into your article this week. Uh, it was published in Wired. Uh, and it really kind of talks not just about cyberpunk, but as about E3 on the whole. And uh, this is something that Feminist Frequency has done every year, right, for since what, 2015? This is the our fifth year, so yeah, yeah. five, yeah, yeah. Uh, and breaking down the games that are shown at E3 and taking a look at representation in those games, specifically male and female representation and and the main characters, and um, I'll let you actually summarize yeah. that. Sh- sure. So yeah, uh, we we you know we've been for five years now we watch the major sort of press conferences at E3 and we do a tally a statistical breakdown and analysis of all the games uh, featured at those press conferences. Um, and um, and what the trend basically, if, if you look at the data over the past, you know, five years, what uh, has remained, you know, remarkably consistent, unfortunately, is that the percentage of games in which um, the, the protagonist is just by, is a, is established as a male, you know, individual um continues to like drastically outstrip the percentage of games in which the the protagonist is you know a a female um character and um of course one thing that is happening in games more and more and more is game is um games that allow you a a choice to create your own character right we're seeing so many more games along in the kind of um games as service model like destiny and the division and you know that whole umbrella of games where you know you and so many of course other rpgs and games fall under this where you you know you create your own character and and that is great of course like the opportunity to create a character in a game is very welcome and and um and you know we don't like feminist frequency does not have a problem with that of course but um but I think that if you 
if you put that aside and just continue looking at, well, here's the games in which you're, you know, you are just going to play as a, a male character versus those games in which you are going to play as a female character and see how, um, how many times there's many times more games, um, uh, in, in one category than the other, it's, it, it just, it's clear that there's a kind of stagnancy and, and that in the sense of, of players, um, there aren't being more games created that just kind of ask players, you know, if you're going to come to this game and play it, like you're going to have to step into the shoes of a female character. And we, and as long as the as long as the it, it's so much more widely accepted or so much more common for games to just have a male hero than to have a female hero, it 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 speaks to um um a deeper problems with um with men being more readily considered the default or a, fig- a character that with whom the player might be willing to um, identify and. Um, and uh, you know maybe sort of cast themselves onto yeah. then then the uh, the other the opposite being true. Uh, this is a, a quote from the article that that you are co-author on. Uh, of the 126 games we tallied from the E3 events held by Microsoft, Nintendo, Bethesda, Ubisoft, Square Enix, and EA, as well as the annual PC gaming show, a paltry six centered exclusively female protagonists, while almost five times as many, 28 centered male characters mm-hmm. uh yeah go ahead. yeah and and that's not so games uh there's also a vast number of games um that center a male hero but we put under our multi you know gender category on a technicality because so so games like final fantasy 7 remake final you know final fantasy 8 dragon quest 11 uh last remnant remastered and, and others where you you know at, in combat and stuff you do control the choices and the actions of a of an array of characters uh, uh, of of different genders, but clearly each of those like if you had to, to identify well the protagonist of Final Fantasy VII is Cloud you know and so on like um, that doesn't even take into account all those games in which the the narrative the the central narrative figure whom the player is primarily identifying with is a male hero, even if you do at times also kind of, um, you know, in, do inputs for or take some control of um, of other characters. Yeah, uh, my my take on this is is uh, has been informed by speaking with some of the women that uh, Christian and I work with during the day, um, and it gave me a kind of a new perspective. I mean, I, I'm certainly encouraged, as you have said, uh, that there are more games that allow you to select your character and uh, select the sex of your character and the look of your character. That is, it's, it's encouraging that that is growing. But uh, the, the thing that uh, was uh, explained to me and, and really makes a lot of sense and has changed my perspective on this is that those, those games are not giving you the experience, even if you select someone who looks and feels differently than you, uh, they tend not to be giving you the experience of that kind of person. And games, interactive entertainment, have this very powerful ability to let you walk in the shoes of someone else, more so than passive entertainment like movies or television shows or even novels uh, that do give you, you know, windows into those kinds of experiences. But making choices and making decisions as we do playing video games there's an opportunity to actually 
present the stories of wildly different kinds of people and let players experience those in a way that that medium allows better than any other. And it's just, it seems like such a missed opportunity to not craft stories and craft experiences that are different. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, the sad reality is, and I get, this is getting better in terms of, I think, uh, entertainment um, aimed at young people across the board. I think there's, you know, when I was growing up, um, uh, I think it would have been, you know, there was like, there were cartoons and there was entertainment for boys and then there were cartoons and entertainment for girls. And it was kind it was, you know, for a boy to, to, uh, for, you know, if a boy were to say like, I really like She-Ra, I think she's a cool hero or something like it, there was, at least in certain contexts, like a certain judgment socially that boys are not supposed to empathize with or admire female characters in that way, but that it's, but that it's okay for girls to project themselves onto male heroes. I'm speaking in very broad terms, of course, but, and thankfully, wonderfully, you know, in, in recent years, there's, I think, far more, um, mainstream entertainment stuff from Disney and, you know, other, other, just cartoons and animated series that are widely beloved and admired that encourage children to see the humanity in people of, of all genders and, and not, you know, and not encouraging boys to just identify with boys and, uh, and so on. And, but I think video games are in a unique position because you really step into the shoes of a character. You know, if you play through, you know, say life is strange one, and you're, you know, Max, I mean, it's the, the experience, if provided the game works for you and clicks for you on some level and you get into it, you know, is one of, it is inherently sort of humanizing of Max because you are meant to be there emotionally with her, like beat by beat, like living through what she's living through. And, um, and just having experiences like that, that actually require you to see the humanity in someone who is different from you, um, you know, it's, I think it's just an essential part of like a healthy diet of, of art and media that has in the past been lacking. And I feel like video games can, can still do better in that regard than they are right now. Yeah. And I think Christian, you know, uh, we talked about this a little bit, uh, the, the idea that, men are the primary audience for video games is just not accurate anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm certainly not an expert on that data. Um, I, I have heard that I, I'm very curious what that data is in terms of like game type. It certainly, it, it seems as if marketing companies act as if that is the case. And anecdotally, it seems like it is not, you know, I'm, I don't have hard and fast numbers in front of me, but I certainly feel like I know um, everybody, you know, plays games now. It's not the, the same way as when I was younger of of kind of who was viewed as a gamer or who you see playing games or as at the airport today. And there were two um, couples and they all had Zelda gear on. And we had a fun conversation and they didn't realize they were all wearing Zelda gear. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's your... And they're like, oh, oh, man, I... I, we had no idea we left the house like this. Uh, <laughs> and it was a fun moment. But it definitely feels as if 
um, you know, most of the marketing is still the same as like it's different versions of like nineties extreme. It's not the same, but it, it feels as if it's still playing to those same people. And um, it does not feel as if it's the same people that are the only people playing games anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like, as I kind of uh, indicated the, the realization that I had is not that I, I think before speaking more about it and having the discussion that this article brought up, which kudos for that. Uh, but before having the conversation, I think I would have been in favor of more games giving me the choice, uh-huh. but realizing that crafting those stories and crafting those experiences specifically for kinds of experiences that I haven't had is actually much more interesting and much more, uh, has a greater possibility to broaden, you know, my experience and not, not have me play the same old thing every time, you know, that that's more interesting and, uh, potentially brings me more cooler experiences just on a pure, like cool level, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like I, I, uh, I love, games that offer a choice and i mean i you know i this is not to take anything away from i mean games like say again destiny 2 and what absolutely have their place um you know destiny 2 you you know you make your choices they're entirely cosmetic and they your guardian is going to be your guardian um regardless you know their gender is not going to have any bearing on their experience And, and in some ways that's actually really great but there is something to be said for games that craft a story around the experiences of a specific defined character in which, you know, who that character is um, uh, informs the the story. It informs how they exist within that world and what have you. And, um, and I just hope that, that we don't, um, that those games don't, you know, those maybe sort of crafted narrative experiences about a particular defined character don't fall by the wayside as more and more games offer us, um, you know, the, 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 the wonderful freedom and, and opportunity and choice to create and customize our, our characters basically from, from scratch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, playing as Lara Croft is a, I'm, I am reckoning with this woman and her experience and it is a different thing. If I was able to pick, Lara Croft or Larry Croft, you know, it would be, it would be a, a different kind of game. Right. But I am, I am actually yeah. in the experience of what Lara is going through. And it's, it, it is an interesting thing. It's different than playing as Nathan Drake, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I certainly enjoy having the conversation and I know um, some gamers uh, can feel threatened or feel attacked uh, when this stuff is coming out. And I, I appreciate having the the discussion and being able to be self-reflective and look at our hobby with uh, both a critical eye and an eye of love because clearly I mean in in talking to you it's it's so obvious that you have affection for this art form and and this hobby and and there is you know there is a, a, a wanting it to improve. Yeah, it's it's definitely a bizarre sort of it's almost like an out of body experience sometimes um you know, when I do on Twitter or elsewhere, see or hear um, the ways in which some of our angriest and most, you know, uh, vocal and vitriolic detractors will characterize us as like 
uh, or, or, you know, me as um, sort of, I don't know, hating games or wanting to like impose some kind of censorship on games or whatever. And it's like, no, God, I mean, it's just like, I don't know who you're talking about. I just, I love games. I love games so much. I've been playing games my entire life. Um, I, I know that games can, I mean, if you love an art form, a medium, why wouldn't you want it to sort of continue to, to do new things, to evolve, to grow, to change, to try to pull in new experiences, to, to offer things to everyone? I just, I don't, I mean, I know why certain groups feel threatened by that, but just the, the worldview that goes along with that is just, it's, it's so, uh, it's so de- disconnected from, from like my actual feelings about games and, and my hope for, you know, the future of games. Yeah. Well said. Uh, and I'm, hopefully this show and, and other places, um, can, can be a place where people actually think about it and not, you know, and not knee jerk and, and, uh, actually, uh, hear the, 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 you know, substance of what is being said. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we got more interesting topics, more uh, hot button topics, I'm sure, to talk about. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? I actually don't have a story this week. What? Surprise mechanic. Gotcha. Oh, oh man. Surprise mechanic. That <laughs> oh, you enjoyed that? I did. You were like, he doesn't have one. And I was like, boom. You know what I love? You know what I love, Christian? I love surprise mechanics in, in all I'm varieties. A- I'm a big fan of a surprise I'm gonna mechanic. Give you a little, you know? I'm going to give you a little money for that surprise mechanic because I know they don't come cheap. Oh, well, did you like that surprise mechanic? Yeah, man. I think they should oh, be. Well, the I think surprise, you, the, surprise mechanics should be legal all the time everywhere. The thing you gave me money for, though, you did not get the surprise mechanic you wanted. Oh. You got this other surprise mechanic that you can't really do anything with. Surprise, I guess. Surprise! Gotcha! Woo! Who's having fun? <laughs> Who's having fun? So this is... Uh, Man, <laughs> lawyers lawyering it up. <laughs> uh, this comes from uh, UK Parliament's Digital Cultural Culture Media and Sport Committee, and they had a hearing with um, a bunch of representatives from within the gaming industry, including um, Epic and EA. And because this whole loot box gambling thing isn't slowing down, it is something that is. Um, being talked about here in the United States in Congress as well. Belgium has uh, pretty strict laws that EA eventually um, followed, but <laughs> did not want to at first. And and this surprise mechanic quote comes from Kerry Hopkins, who was testifying in front of the UK Digital Culture Media and Sport Committee and said that um, they are not loot boxes. The, the company's randomized purchases aren't loot boxes, but rather surprise mechanics, and they are totally ethical. Uh, was like the other little like kicker that I that I liked being uh, put on the end of it. And they said that it's not gambling, just like. And then they cite other commissions that have said, "Hey, it's not gambling." And then they uh, Carrie said it was, uh, you know, like it's like Kinder eggs. other product, like Kinder yeah, eggs like, or Hatchimals. Other products that people enjoy in a healthy way and like the element of surprise and then compared them to Kinder Eggs, Hatchimals, or LOL Surprise Toys. Um, so I think it's easy to make fun of the surprise mechanic. Like, uh, did they go to Auntie M's and get a hot pretzel with that? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? Because you are twisting yourself in knots looking for, <laughs> for new terms. Um, but 
I do think the idea of comparing them to Kinder Eggs and these things that have been around for a very long time, um, and like a uh, vending machine, you know, the you get the surprise toy kind of out, um, where the gotcha term kind of comes from, like the sound that machine makes when you get your your new toy out, the new ball, um, is an interesting approach and one that has been talked about, but I had not seen made so um at the front of the argument the way carrie did for ea and so i'm curious um carolyn and jeff what your opinion is about not necessarily loot boxes in general but the idea of trying to characterize them as something can can you equate them to something not digital does that does that work or is it totally different because the rules of how you surprise mechanic a digital good is very different than a physical good. Oof. I, I, hmm. I feel like psychological, I feel like in terms of the, um, and I'm not a, I'm not a brain doctor. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not really somebody who's qualified to be, I don't think talking about this in general, in general, but I, I do feel like the, the sort of dopamine rush or, or whatever it is that, that, that it is, that draws us to specifically the opening of be it a, a kinder egg or a loot box i mean i do feel like that that does function on on the same level that kind of what am i gonna get i hope i get the um you know i hope i get an epic this such and such epic outfit for um you know whatever overwatch character you know or whatever like i i don't but i don't think that that just because you can equate it to a physical or 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 sort of anal- you know analogize it to a physical um product i don't think that that necessarily makes it any any like i don't think that makes it healthy or or says that because i'm not convinced that people everyone has a healthy uh, relationship with the phys- with those other things either um so well, if I it's guess- physical it has to be healthy cigarettes super healthy yeah. <laughs> they're very physical right. yeah and um i mean i do think that uh, you know i, I I do think that loot boxes, generally speaking, are are. I mean, there's they're predatory in some sense. I mean, there's something about them that's designed to, to, uh, yes, to do something to us psychologically. That is, it's it's you know, there's a lot of study of how brains work and how to most effectively exploit how brains work that goes into um, the selling of those. And I mean, that I just that is just not deniable. Um, whether then the responsibility, you know, lies with us to be, to, to just resist or, and and to just accept that that's going to exist or whether there is a line that can be crossed by companies such as EA that, uh, operate in this space. Like, um, I, I don't know yet where, you know, where I land on that. I'm still kind of. I'm still up in the air about that. I wish I think I think you've <laughs> you've you've hit the uh, the the pretzel on the on the <laughs> nose. You know, it, it is a tough thing, right? Uh, but I wish someone at this hearing had responded in the following way and had asked uh, Carrie Hopkins if there was a tiny little person, let's say a magical gnome of some kind that could live inside the Kinder Egg and could be listening every time you were talking about whether or not you wanted to buy a Kinder Egg and could decide 
what kind of prize it would put in the Kinder Egg based on how often you bought Kinder Eggs. And then decided, well, hey, you haven't bought a Kinder Egg in a while, so maybe this Kinder Egg is going to have something really nice into it. But now you're buying Kinder Eggs at a really high rate because you have got something really cool. So the little gnome decides, you know what? We're going to space it out and make it so that you don't get something cool. You're only going to get something cool just often enough to make you want to buy more Kinder Eggs. And then, But no. look, here's your friend you haven't talked to in 10 years who has this really cool oh, Kinder yeah, Egg. We're going to show yeah. you your friend look at just what, for a little bit. Look at, look at what, what cool thing the gnome gave your friend inside their Kinder Egg. Don't you want to be as cool as them? Uh, if only someone had explained about the gnome inside the Kinder Egg that can <laughs> magically swap out what's inside of it. Because honestly, I think the the great cognitive dissonance that happens in this entire discussion is that everyone assumes that this entire endeavor is on the up and up. When it is not. It is not. I'm the Kinder Gnome, and I'm here to say that everything's on the up and up. You don't have to worry when I'm in charge, because I'm the Kinder Gnome. Kinder Gnome, you're a liar. You're a known liar. Um, Oh, did I lie for real? (laughs) Or what? Look at this. You wanted this, didn't you? This is so cool. I love you. Let's talk about this thing for a little bit. I love your surprise mechanics, Kinder Egg. Kinder Gnome. The... the, the the assumption is that it works like a kinder egg where someone put something in a magic box and then put it in a place until you discovered it. But that's not how it works in the digital realm. Or there are only a thousand Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards printed yes. and shipped and they across the up, U.S. There's, there's six Wonka bars with six golden <laughs> tickets in them and they're out in the world and who knows where who's going to get them. That's just not how this works. And I don't understand why no one brings up the notion that it doesn't work like a physical thing because it doesn't have to, because no one is enforcing any rules on the distribution of these items, the way it, 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 it games your brain and games your behavior because of data. Kinder eggs don't have data. Hatchables don't have data. That physical item can be resold. I can go if I want a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, I can go buy it right now from someone else, right? Or like whatever it is. And these digital items are locked into this game. And some people have some companies and games have experimented with allowing digital items to be sold across users. And there's been problems with how that's been implemented as well. But I think that's another part of it that makes this equation a, a difficult one of. Well, it's just like we've been doing this for years, you know, buying baseball cards or whatever it is. And and I don't think it's the same because I can't see my friend that the Kinder Gnome gave, a, a, you know, that really cool outfit to and ask them for it and trade them 10 muscle men for it. You know, like, well, I mean, I, I don't even the physicalness of it. I am willing to even set on a shelf. It's the algorithm. Yeah, because you can because it's physical. <laughs> <laughs> right. the, it's, it's the algorithm that is computing all the things that Carolyn's talking about are our dopamine addiction and what it takes to keep you going and you specific or not even you specifically a, the general group like how do we tweak those numbers how do we tweak those percentages how do we make sure we know there's a point at which people keep buying and there's a point at which they don't and we can in real time affect the 
cool factor, the rarity of items inside those things, rather than we put a bunch of stuff in some Kinder eggs and we put them out into the world. It's, it's inherently manipulative and inherently unfair. And I think that's the point at which we have to start talking about regulation because that, I think it's, it's it's I don't disagree, but I think what makes this conversation a difficult one as well is the idea of like your rewards card at the grocery store or whatever or Target or whatever it is, right? And they're tracking what you buy and then you haven't done – now we're going to give you a coupon, right? Like this is – I think even in the physical good world, these algorithms are trying to <laughs> – right now, someone listening to this at home, like through speakers – all of their Google ads are going to be Kinder Eggs all of a sudden <laughs> because their smart speaker has just heard it's going to be like Kinder Eggs and Yard Gnomes. <laughs> it's going to be in their Amazon history. I mean, history we right don't now. know for sure that's how it works. So, <laughs> what I'm just saying. Uh, but also, uh, but I think that, you know, it's yes, yes. The general answer is yes, but also, you know, gaming, or not the right word there, but like, dialing in the specific sugar fat uh mixture to make candy bars craveable or whatever the thing is right like it's the thing is to get you to do the thing to buy the thing to want the thing to need the thing and now how do we trick your dumb little animal brain into needing wanting it again and i'm not saying that the digital version of of these loot boxes is better (laughs) than, than these other ways but i think that's an interesting part of the conversation is that and I am in favor generally of regulation. I'm pro regulation. I like, I like a lot of regulation. Um, but like when you, when you dip your toe in, I understand or I can empathize why people are fearful of that toe. Cause where does it lead and where does it stop? And it's a bigger conversation than the show, but no, we solved it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, ultimately for me, the, the way all these analogies break down, we keep, you know, using the analogy of, of uh, physical things. Say my name, Jeff. Say <laughs> yeah. my name. Physical things from the past, or you know, actual goods that have been done. You, you talk about sugar. You talk about all these things. Even you know the amount of nicotine in, in tobacco we've seen for years and years. Those things are gamed. But I, I think w- the reason we're at a different tipping point culturally is because we don't understand. We have not reckoned with the amount of data we are able to get now and how quickly and immediately we have that data. And it's a completely new ball game when data can be mined instantaneously on a massive scale and, and all of that stuff can be tweaked, you know, where uh, you put out your sugary cereal and then weeks later you realize, Oh, it didn't sell well because we had red on the box instead of purple. Uh, We'll change it. Yeah, sure. But to do that, in a digital space in the matter of seconds rather than weeks or months, it had changes everything and becomes yeah. much more nefarious. I think it becomes much more potentially manipulative. And we, as a, we, as a species have not yet dealt with the ramifications of having this much data on our own behavior and what it allows. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm saying that, Literally talking with someone who just put out a big article with data. <laughs> <And it's> a, <laughs> I, uh, no, no offense intended, but I do. Th- I do no, think, you know, I, it's completely, you're completely right. Yeah. I mean. It's hard. It's a hard place yes. to be as a, as a, 
as a species. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we, we are, this is a, a much longer than normal news segment, but I'm happy these discussions have been fascinating and, and fun. Uh, I do need to thank our sponsor, which is Squarespace. You know, I love Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for a decade, I guess. Uh, JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. I always recommend Squarespace to all my friends and family anytime they need a website. And let's face it, at some point, you're likely going to need a website, whether you are having a blog or, or anything personal that you're writing, or you're trying to sell something, or you have a small business that you want to get uh, out into the world. Whatever it's going to be, you're going to need a website and you can spend a lot of money having someone else make a website or you can make it yourself. It is easy to make it yourself with Squarespace, with the tools that Squarespace has. And you can actually use those tools without even giving them your credit card. They are so confident that you'll like it that you can just start building your website at squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and make it yourself. Just drag and drop. What you see is what you get. Super simple. There's never anything to patch or upgrade ever. That's all handled for you. They have built-in search engine optimization. They have analytics. If you want your data, they got it to help you grow in real time. They got 24-7 award-winning customer support if you ever run into any problems. It's super simple. It's all optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't have to do that. They have a new way to, to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. So you can even buy your domain through Squarespace. It's simple. Make it yourself. Don't pay someone else to do it. Make it yourself. Just it's all visual. It's all it's so simple. And we're going to help you out. If you head over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, get your free trial. Don't even have to give me your credit card. Build your site. And then when you're ready to launch, use our offer code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Uh, so if you need a website, this is the way to do it. This is the way I always tell people to do it. Even in my friend, my friends and family, I believe in Squarespace, squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me to get yourself 10% off. All right. Uh, staying with our theme of, uh, interesting hot button issues. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Final Fantasy VII remake. I think, Carolyn, you'll have an interesting perspective on this that I would love to hear because um, there has been some interesting changes. Uh, yeah. You've heard about this. Yes, there have. Yeah. So uh, there was a character uh, back in 1997 named Tifa who is in the original Final Fantasy VII. It was released in 1997. Uh, and as games tended to be back then, uh, she was depicted in an absurd way, uh, it, really just a bizarre caricature, uh, with breasts, the size of basketballs. And, um, and at one point, so, and, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, to be fair. So, I mean, the, the character models in the original final fantasy seven were like a pretty much, I mean, super deformed, like po polygonal characters. I mean, at least depending on the, I mean, they, they, there were different models used at different points in the, in the game or the gameplay, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was a different time. Graphics were different, you know. The thinking around the design of female characters was different, and yeah, like Tifa, Tifa's bust was, you know, Tifa's bust was such that it, you know, it borderline maybe worked with that art style and that you know kind of graphical fidelity at that point in time. But if you tried to translate it into the uh, the 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 art style, you know, and the graphical style of Final Fantasy VII Remake, it would it would look 
uh, it, it would look humorous. I mean, it would look absurd. And and so, a very understandably, I think, I mean, doing, uh, you know, yes. So the Tifa's Tifa's breast size is more, you know, um, it, it's smaller. It's smaller in in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, and yes, apparently some people uh, have taken issue with this. Um, there's been a lot of interesting conversation online about like certain men talking about this in a way that that reveals that they don't even really understand like how you know how breasts work and how like <laughs> because uh, it's just like the they just the way they're they're talking about like the <laughs> oh, oh she's now like a, a B cup or whatever and it's like no dude she's not now a B cup like re- re- relax or you're being silly um but also just like what so what if she is like who care like what difference does it make she looks rad she's fights extremely well she's uh, i don't know the whole situation is it's it's another one of those moments that just reveals um you know where where uh, where we're still at uh in in some regards when it comes well, to Well, I don't think it's revealing enough and I think that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's way more revealing for it, it reveals oh. where we're not, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But um I, I you know it is a humorous if sad story on on one hand, but also I think you know there is an interesting discussion to be had here uh because There is this opportunity as more and more of these older games from a bygone era are being remade. uh, Do you think uh, it seems to me, you know, the original story here says that Square Enix's ethics department said that uh, it needed to, quote, not get unnatural during all the intense action, which, you know, I think that's a reasonable thing to point out. I'm surprised it took the ethics department to to say it. Um, But. It, it seems like there is this opportunity to take a to revisit these games that were made in a in a time with inferior technology and uh, in a time that is different from our own. And I wonder, uh, as an activist, Carolyn, how much you think should be reexamined and re recontextualized if these games are remade. I think yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think. Uh... Quite a quite a bit, I would say. I mean, I think that um, you know, as uh, I mean, someone who loves cinema, so for instance, I, I, for instance, right? If I watch a film from the nineteen say forties, and you know, I may there there will there's often going to be sort of racist like uh, undertones or overtones or, or overtones, <laughs> uh, you know, in a film that just wouldn't fly today and. I mean, I can, you know, as a viewer, I can hold the duality within myself of, well, I mean, it's it's a shame that that was okay then, or that it was allowed or you know accepted as normal, um, and you know, I can still, I can, I can hold that in myself while still appreciating the beautiful and good things about this work, um, and not just not just uh, say, well, you know, such and such film from 1947 is canceled because you know, it, it has like elements of racism in it. Um, but if you're going to take that film and remake it today, 
uh, you probably better reevaluate its uh, its politics, its underlying, um, you know, its worldview, and and not just replicate it outright. And you know, I mean, so and I think of this in a similar way. Like I would hope that if a player today goes to experience Final Fantasy VII for the first time, I hope they have a wonderful time with it. I hope they can understand all the things that made it so exciting and so groundbreaking and just so extraordinary when it was released and that they don't give it a pass for any uh, egregious, uh, um, you know, uh, sexism or, uh, or other, you know, (laughs) questionable aspects, but that they also, you know, can, can just, you know, sort of, again, carry within themselves the complexity of that, that, you know, it, that was at the time in which it was made. Um, unfortunately, you know, things being what they were like, that was just allowed to, to be the case. Um, and you know, that that's the way it is, but, but yeah, I certainly, you know, uh, in remaking final fantasy seven, I'm very curious, for instance, like how are they going to present, uh, you know, rethink or rework the whole, uh, sequence in which in the original, you know, cloud, um, dresses as a, a woman and, um, you know, and there's, there's sort of these, a very broad kind of, uh, gay, gay stereotype that's kind of played for laughs in the original in yeah. that environment and all this stuff, like what's, how are they going to, to re- redo that? Because they, they better not just kind of, re you know replicate it as it was then as if and, and clearly that's they're not going to but right. um which is which thank goodness yeah i agree and, and i think i think i agree 100 percent with everything you've said it, it is it really is the difference between revisiting and remaking you know if, if you're if i'm gonna load an old game on my hard drive i'm gonna be looking at it through a different lens than if i <laughs> if this company is remaking it and especially in the in the with the extreme way that uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is being remade. I mean, where the entire combat system is being remade, the whole game is being rebuilt from the ground up. Of course, I think you said it exactly right. It is the same way that you re- remake a movie or, or you know, create Just a Retell a story, yes. Yes. In, you know, in any uh, art art former medium really yes it has to be um, it has to be contemporary in all in all ways not just make the graphics more contemporary right. it has to be a contemporary story and i think that's right on uh christian i, I assume you agree with well do you have any other things you want to add well i think it's you you mentioned this before uh in conversations kind of about remakes where you know the old version of the game they developers were often pushing things tech to the limit, right? And so I think when you look to do a remake, you need to look to how the new tech can help you better tell your story. And if you did it exactly the same proportions in terms of level design or character design, I don't think more often than not that works in this larger remake style. And I think even aside from remakes in terms of just updating characters over the years, you know, like Mega Man, 8-Bit Mega Man uh, in his shoot pose, I believe it's a shoot pose, I could be wrong. I think his head is as many pixels as the rest of his body. Um, And I think when he's standing, it's like his body's four pixels bigger. Like, that doesn't work for 
you know, a, in fairness, a I, am, I am the same proportion, so it's <laughs> very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, right? Or or eight bit Mario, right? Like, and I, I don't want to say that's why every character design uh, decision was made in old games. I don't know. It's less likely not the case, but there were limitations, and you needed to express things on small square TVs um that were you know 480i uh on a good day or whatever it was to differentiate between character designs and then i hopefully as those characters evolve and change spider-man on the playstation 4 game does not look like spider-man on i think it was the pc was spider-man's first game you know right like and so i think all of that you're saying that uh women characters in those eras had giant breasts because it's the only way to tell that they were any different from any of the other i didn't i I clearly did i clearly said that was not the only reason (laughs) but i am saying that some character design decisions were likely made because of that with like exaggerated proportions and oh yeah then also it was the 90s right. um, it was all extreme <laughs> extreme yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um but i think both things right as you update the characters for the times that you need to update the characters for the times yeah. all right well we're all on the same page with that I, it's an interesting thing and i you know what i think this episode has been uh, so interesting to me and i love that we can have these conversations on the show i know I, this the uh the uh story of the week segment Longer than normal, but I appreciated having Carolyn here and, and digging a little deeper into some of that stuff than we might normally do. But let's now transition to talking about the games that we are actually playing with the playlist. All right. Uh, I know there are lots of fun games being released, even in the midst of E3. Cool stuff coming out. Cool stuff to play carolyn i'm very excited to talk about one game that i have been had my eye on but haven't had a chance to play yet and that is uh 1980x yeah yeah so 1980x came out uh on friday i believe and um so this is a game um uh i'm I'm still kind of processing my feelings about it, you know, it, it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm planning to like write something about it because I feel like it's a game that, that deserves to be talked about. But I also feel like it's a game that, um, that, um, if you, it's very, it might be easy to go to it approaching one thing and find out that it's actually something else and to be disappointed. Hmm. I really love 1980X, but to be clear, okay, if you've seen, so the trailer for the game is basically, um, like images or uh, gameplay from uh, an assortment of different games, uh, and the voiceover is the game is the protagonist of 1980X saying things like, "This is not just a fighting game. This is not just uh, uh, a shmup." They don't use the word shmup; they should, but you know, it's a, it's a shmup. This is not just a um, you know a, a ninja game, a, ra- a dry a racing game, etc. And um, and it's uh 1980x is a coming of age sort of uh narrative little experience it takes i'd say 90 minutes to play through it is oh, not wow. like five robust games. but it's episodic right like that i thought that was kind of what they had been saying over in the like their kickstarter message board like there's more to this this is part one is that correct I, you know, so I actually kind of went into went into the game itself blind. I mean, I'd see I'd seen the trailer, but I didn't I hadn't followed the Kickstarter 
And I sort of deliberately was like, I know I want to play this. I'm just going to go into it and make of it, you know, what I will. But I do get the impression after having played it that, so yes, it's quite compact. It is short. It's very evocative. It, it, and, and it's on that level that it really worked for me is this it's beautiful pixel art. And it is a story about a, a person named Kid who um, I believe is sort of gender ambiguous or gender non-binary. I mean, the game never uses a pronoun for them. And uh, my read you know, of them is that that's intentional. They're supposed to be sort of gender uh, you know, non-conforming, um, uh, whether or not that's the case for certain, I can't say, but, you know, obviously that, that means something to me as a trans person. It's nice to see that, um, you know, but this, uh, the game works in, in sort of evocation and suggestion more than outright detail. Like it hints at, uh, turmoil in kids home. It hints at like why kid might feel like kind of an outsider. It hints at kids kind of search for belonging and the 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 sense that the games that they play at this arcade that they find in some way reflect their own internal search for understanding for belonging for a place maybe where they can be, have some kind of control or be successful be heroic on some level and um yeah, so, you know, you basically, as a kid, you play through these games at the local arcade while this overarching narrative takes place about their life. And um, and you do I do get the sense that, yes, this is the first chapter and there's more to come because it, it ends quite abruptly. Nothing is resolved. Things are left quite undefined. But um, and, and in a way that I suspect some players will find lacking and wanting, you know, some players will feel like, oh, that's it? Like, I wanted more. Whereas for me as a player, the lack of, uh, like, uh, the way it just kind of suggests and hints at things rather than spelling things out actually really worked in an interesting way. Like, it kind of made it easier for me to feel plugged into what Kid was going through. As somebody who, myself as a young person, often sought solace and meaning and, and an escape, you know, in, in video games. Um, and I think, I guess if you have that, uh, that's, I guess, who I would particularly recommend. You know, at least it's ten dollars. You know, it, um, if you are somebody who maybe has that experience of at some point have you know having games have you know where, in which games played that kind of important role in your life where you really sought something deeper and more meaningful in them, then I think 1980X is is a game that for you, or it's a game that that you should look at. I think that um, that. You know, that experience was – I'm going to venture to – I'll maybe put myself out on a limb here. But I think that experience was more common in the 80s, right? As a as a child of the 80s myself, I had that experience too. I mean I, I would go to school and get beat up and or, or intimidated by bullies because I played video games and went right. to video games as an escape from – and comic books and all kinds of other geeky things. But, you know, I don't think video games live in that space anymore. They are cool. They are mainstream. And that what that time, specifically the 80s, when the birth of video games was happening, they were a, a niche and, a, and they had a stigma of kind of dorkiness that, that they don't yeah. have anymore. And, I, and yeah, I relate to it. And with that, you know, interestingly, though, with that stigma of dorkiness and is also the, the 
the kind of other side of that coin is that, oh, you can – a lot of us did find a kind of community around games or our, our – our, you know, our brethren are like, oh, you know, so in, in 1980X, you know, kid, you get the sense that kid finds um, other outsiders at the arcade, like other people with whom they, they might feel some sense of belonging in a, in a larger world in which they don't feel like they belong or, or, you know, feel like they fit in. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I mean, what it, how, what it's like for young I do, I mean, my, my sense as obviously somebody who's not a young, young person anymore is that you're right. Games have shifted into a different cultural space. And um, obviously you don't have these kind of physical places like arcades in the way that you did right. before. But um, yeah. Um, yeah. I do. I think things, I think it is um, a reflection in that sense, even though it, it's reality is a kind of heightened, um, you know, uh, you know, slightly, future tinged cyber mm-hmm. i don't want to say cyberpunk but like you know it's not the 80s as they were like a dream it of the 80s right yeah it's 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 the 80s as we maybe imagine yeah. that them in the 80s or something it's like right. the 80s by way of the 80s <laughs> i love that um, that's a great way of describing it uh yeah let, let me ask you this question just on a purely mechanical level are the little mini games fun? Are they well representative of those classic experiences? Uh, they don't. I mean, they work for you know. For me, they work within the the emotional um, you know arc of kids kind of the kids kind of um, you know journey, such as it is. But no, I mean they're they're very. Um, I mean the shmup. Uh, I guess you know it. It feels like maybe a stage from. From what could be a decent schmuck. They're not. It's not um, trying to do that. It's it's it's. More, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to get a full beat 'em up experience. You know, you're not. You don't have like all these combos and all these. You know, you have your attack and whatever. Like you can you can do basic stuff and mash buttons and and beat that bad guys. And it feels good enough to carry the experience through through the you know ten or fifteen minutes that you're playing that game within the game. It's but it's not. Too. It's not like oh man, I really want to play more yeah. beating heart the beat 'em up within 1980X right. on its own terms. It works. It works only because of the context in which it exists. You know, I get it. Yeah, it's, an, it's a narrative tool, not a not an excuse to it's, create a. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I want people to understand. I think you know some people might think, oh, it's wow, it's like five uh, games, uh, you know, connected by a narrative device and no it's a narrative that's connected that has this sort of connective tissue of five like little slices of games i think that's a really great point because i i I definitely came away from the trailer with the opposite feeling (laughs) so yeah um yeah Okay, so the other game that uh, that I know you've been playing is one that if i hadn't been on vacation this week i would have definitely played because i've only heard uh, people talking so uh, highly of Outer Wilds. Yeah, yeah. So Outer Wilds, man. This game is it. It. Um, so Outer Wilds is a game in which um, it, you it, you live on a on a very small planet in a very small solar system with, and you are going on a little space expedition. But um, you know um, the the the, the sort of core conceit, I guess, is that the universe, um, your, or solar system, or, you know, it, it's ending, it ends like 20, 20 minutes into each of each expedition. And your character, um, for reasons, 
um, that uh, that the game does explain, um, you know, uh, remembers each loop, but nobody else does. And so you, it, it becomes this kind of cosmic mystery where you, you know there's there's uh, ruins from di- from an alien civilization scattered throughout the solar system. There's, um, I mean, there's so much to explore as you as you pilot your little ship um, from you know planet to planet, looking for clues, looking for uh, the just piecing together this this kind of cosmic narrative mystery of who came before and why this is happening and what you maybe if anything you can do to to stop it and um it just the the emotions that it evokes are are, are such a i mean a really wonderful mix of of uh this kind of i don't know like this kind of homespun joy and this kind of there's this, you know, everything, but everything's also tinged with sadness. There's something mournful about the way that the galaxy or, you know, it, it, everything is about to end. And it seems that the, the, the alien culture that came before that you're investigating also met some kind of end. And um, it's, it's, it's haunting. It's, it's funny at times. It's cute. It's, it's just, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it is, pleasant it's like really pleasant it's it's just a pleasure to play to explore it's a very despite the, the sort of time pressure it can often feel very chill like you're just on your little uh, playful expedition going around the galaxy or the solar system trying to figure out what's what and um i mean it's it's really a uh it's like a small miracle of a game <laughs> wow. you know it's really something special i i'm definitely going to play it i just being away from home i have not downloaded it on my uh on my xbox yet but i it's a i know it's a game pass game so i'm like there's yeah. no reason not to for me i i'm yeah. very excited to, to try this i'll do it this week uh, yeah the superlatives people have been been using to describe it are are intriguing i am you know it's it's so it's, it's so easy for me to confuse outer wilds with outer worlds and uh, yeah both look amazing so i have to you know yeah yeah they do. <laughs> uh christian spicer what is on your playlist nothing we need to spend a lot of time with i'm excited about bloodstained but i have that for switch and it's not out yet uh so you can look for that next week but i went and i picked up the spider-man 4 dlc when it was on sale for playstation's days of play um and i love it if you haven't played it, I think it's a, a, a great, especially at the whatever price I paid for it, um, extension of that game. I think the story is really fun and interesting. I like that the combat gets pretty difficult um, because at that point, hopefully you're well-versed in the mechanics of the game. I did have to pause and relook up <laughs> um, some of the things I was doing because it had been a while since I played it. But I like the idea of that, that it kind of continues to up the ante. And then uh, while I was on vacay, the... Speaking of 1980X's beautiful pixel art, Dead Cells it pulled me back um, on Switch. And I still have not finished, like there's a finished. I have not taken down the final boss, never, not once. And I got uh, to them several times this past weekend. And <laughs> oh, boy, did I fail each time. <laughs> it is, uh, that game has sucked me back. I really enjoy it if you also had shelved it pre-patch on switch which is where i'm playing it um it's a better game in every way since the patch i think it's it doles out um items in a more interesting and 
more forgiving way. Um, and it also runs better. I know the patch is several months old now, but I had not gone back to it since. And um, it's still phenomenal. It's it's absolutely phenomenal game that I will probably never uh, beat the final boss in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, you know, it doesn't stop me from loving it. It is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful game. Um, so as I mentioned, I was on vacation, went up to a cabin with the fam. So what better opportunity than to grab a new game from a Switch and... Cadence of Hyrule came out this week, so I purchased that and uh, played some of it. it. It's a short game, but I, I have not finished it because there was a lot of family doings. Uh, and I also should mention, I'm embarrassed to say, I never played Crypt of the Necro Dancer, So it was entirely new for me, uh, this, uh, this, this template, this style, this, this genre all its own, creating an action game, a... Uh, a Zelda-like game in the Zelda universe, but tied to a rhythm game, tied to a beat. And the idea of Cadence of Hyrule is that as you enter a new screen in in the old classic Zelda style of going to the edge of a a screen and loading a new screen in, uh, if there are monsters anywhere on that screen, be they seen or unseen, hidden in some way, there is a beat at the bottom of the screen that is showing you a, a rhythm happening and you are only able to move your character on that beat. If you miss the beat or try to press the movement direction off the beat, you fail and are unable to move. So you're constantly keeping a rhythm and going on the beat. And uh, if you move adjacent to a monster, you attack them. And the monsters will move uh, on the beat as well, and they will come at you or throw things at you or otherwise, you know, cause you problems. And you have to dodge and deal with all the things on the beat. And sometimes the beat changes and sometimes uh, how, what, you, you know, items that you get change the way you move or what, how, what squares you can attack. It's a really clever concept that takes something entirely familiar and makes it feel fresh and new and different. And I found it to be really challenging at first. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good rhythm and sense of tempo, but it does a lot of really wonderful things to mess you up and and make you feel flustered by you know, tossing things at you or having enemies come at you or being turned the wrong direction and having to put your shield up at the right moment and all that stuff. I, it, it, it was like, Oh, I must unlearn what I have learned and, you know, and, and come at this game with, with new eyes because it's not Zelda, even though it looks very Zelda like it is doing its own thing. And I was really, really digging cadence of Hyrule. Uh, Like I said, it, I've heard it is very short, but I have uh, not finished it. Uh, I plan to. It, it's uh, it's good fun. It's really clever. It looks great. Uh, and the fact that it's actually a Zelda game, you actually play as Link and Zelda. You can choose at the beginning which of the two of them you're going to go try to rescue first. Uh, and it's got great art. And I mean, it looks like an old classic NES or SNES game. How's the music? Uh, Crips music, I thought was phenomenal. And I haven't, I've only kind of seen the trailer for Cadence. Um, 
I have to be honest with you, I didn't bring my earphones. So uh, I was playing it in the cabin and I'm constantly playing it when people were sleeping. So I turned playing, it no, playing no. Cadence of Hyrule and not listening to the music. <laughs> there's, a visual, oh there's, a visual, there's a visual beat. No, I know. I know but I'm doing it wow. wrong. I'm doing it wrong. I know. I'll play more I'm this sorry, week. I, I will play more this week. You guys have outed me and I'm sure that we, we needed a pregame. I wouldn't have asked such an obviously embarrassing question. I, know. I played, I w- was listening. Uh, I had very low uh, and try not to wake people up as I was playing after people went to bed. <laughs> you do have good rhythm but I, then. I didn't. Uh, I did not get a good sense of the music. So I, I know I'm I'm playing this game entirely wrong. But I was I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be awesome. I'll just put my earphones. At- oh wait, I left my earphones at home. So yeah, that's how I was experiencing this game. So I will- you couldn't run to the store to get any because then you'd be out of line for the one bathroom. Yeah, there was no store. You know, there was no store. There we were in the middle of nowhere. There was no, there was a, a lake. We could go to the lake, and they didn't have any earphones at the lake. Two seashells did not work. Um. Anyway, I will play it the proper way uh, this week and report back. All right, we do have a listener uh, submitted review. Uh, this comes from Jay Thor. And he starts his email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com with, please tell me there will be a new Christian comedy album. I have the previous two and love them to death. First day purchase. So Christian Spicer, is there a new comedy album henceforth? I hope so. Um, <laughs> working on that hour, working on that new material? Yeah, I mean, it's coming together. I'd say I probably have, I, I ran I ran an hour. Um, how long ago was that? I don't know, maybe a month ago. I, I it was the first time I took the new hour out and I would say I have a new 35. Right. <laughs> um, I, think I did 65 and 35 I'm proud of. So slowly, but surely watch this it, space, J Thor, watch this space. We will yes. let you know as soon as that happens. Uh, he goes on or uh, they go on, I should say to say uh, John Romero released a mega wad, which is uh, where's all the data. That's for for Doom. Pretty much a new episode of Doom 1, 1993, as a free download. Best to temper expectations because this uses the old textures and gameplay. But God, is it hard. (laughs) It's a continuation of Thy Flesh Be Consumed, episode 4 for the ultimate Doom release. And meant to be a bit harder than that one. In interviews with Romero, he said he tuned the difficulty to make the levels challenging for him to get through. I'm pretty proud oh, yeah, for him to get there. Yeah, he's like God dear. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty casual, so only did the first couple levels without save scumming and turning down the difficulty, but the level designs feel like classic Doom. It feels like a lot of game testing and effort went into making the levels replayable. If you buy the game, you get an extra music pack with soundtrack by Buckethead. The songs work perfectly with the game, and some of the solos are mind-blowing. Back in the day, I used to play Doom while listening to metal, so this works very well for me. Sigil is an easy recommend. I haven't beat it yet, but about to get to the end. Thank you, Jay Thor. A very cool review. Classic Doom, 1993 Doom with new levels. Uh, If you want to submit a review of a game that maybe we haven't talked about or haven't talked about enough, or you just want to give us your opinion, you can always do that at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We appreciate everybody who sends in their reviews. And you know what? That's actually going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Carolyn Pettit, thank you so much for being here. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's been, thank you so much for having me back. What a great conversation. Uh, so thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, we, we hope that this will be a regular occurrence. Uh, but in the meantime, where can people find more of your work online? 
Yeah, uh, just uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carolyn Michelle, and uh, you, know, you can find all of Feminist Frequency's work uh, at feministfrequency.com. Very cool. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, I'm releasing my third stand-up <laughs> it's album. It's 35 minutes uh, long. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's cobbled. Like the int- first is good, then there's like a hard cut, <laughs> and I refer back to something that didn't work, but then there's like a big laugh. Um, so it's called like this wasn't supposed to be released. How did this get out? The story of uh, the internet. It's called, uh, it's it's called this one's for J Thor and no one else. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Um, Twitter's the best way at Spicer to keep in touch. And then um, I stream this show, which is typically Sundays at 7 15 PM Pacific time on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And speaking of streaming, um, just a shout out to, um, what everybody did raising money for St. Jude this past week oh, at Guardian Con. So cool. Where they raised almost $4 million. And uh, once again, Dr. Lupo and uh, his team, and his, during his stream, his block, he raised almost a million dollars. Incredible. And like it all went minutes. to help. Okay. Yeah, oh, it crazy. all went to help St. Jude. And, and Bungie and the Destiny stream for like the developer block, I think they raised almost half a million dollars. Um, so for a cause that is near and dear to me, um, and knowing a bunch of the people who work with Guardian Con and the work they do and the charitable work they do, um, thank you to them. And, and if you haven't checked it out, be sure to uh, look them up. Very cool. Uh, as for me, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled two N's and one T. And uh, you can email this show, as I said, at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, I do some other shows that you can check out as well. If you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, I do the Slash Filmcast over at slashfilmcast.com. This week, we're going to be talking about Toy Story 4, which is a lovely movie that everyone should watch. Uh, and we'll talk more about that over at slashfilmcast.com. Uh, and I do the Dungeon Run, which is uh, – I'm very, very proud of this show. It is our Dungeons & Dragons live play every Wednesday night live at caffeine.tv slash the Dungeon Run at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Um, but you can also watch it on YouTube or as an audio podcast wherever you get podcasts. I, I hope you give it a shot. It's I'm, I'm super proud of it. I'm super proud of the people and the narrative that we're telling. I think it's really, really fun. Um, so, so give it a shot. The Dungeon Run. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Carolyn, do you have a recommendation to help people get through their week? Yeah, I'll just toss out, you know, uh, um, that uh, <laughs> Neon Genesis Evangelion is uh, is now on uh, on Netflix, uh, which is quite a big deal for a lot of uh, you know anime fans or fans of Evangelion in particular. I actually, um, and yeah, I'm not a huge anime like I don't. I'm not a huge anime person. I don't watch something just because it's anime, but I love certain things that happen to be anime, um, and I don't particularly care if something has giant robots in it or whatever, but if it's good and it happens to have giant robots in it, I will watch it. And anyway, it's new. I mean, it's an old, older uh, anime series, but it's just new. It's newly available on Netflix. There's controversies about some of the the dub choices and some some of the music rights have passed and have been replaced. But if you've never seen it before, you won't know that you're 
with what's been changed or what you're missing. And it's a it's a really fascinating, wonderfully complex, challenging, um, rich uh, uh, anime series that uh, it's it's difficult in 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 you know in brief to even try to explain why you should watch it. But if you're not averse to the idea of um, giant robot anime and you like kind of you know ch- ch- thematically and intellectually challenging uh, stuff, um, you know. Give it, check it out. You might be pleasantly surprised. Boy, my Twitter feed has just exploded about Evangelion. It is all anybody talks about, at least for the last few days. So yeah. I, I never watched it. So maybe I'll, it will be my my time to finally do that. Very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, how about you? What is your parting gift? Yeah, I can second that recommendation, but also it'll wait for you because it's on Netflix. And what won't wait for you because it's live is the World Cup is going on right now. We are in the knockout round. America going to win? We're going to win? America? They're very good. They're very good this year. Am I going to say they're going to win? No, because I don't want to jinx them. Um, They are very good. I think they play Spain Hmm. next on Tuesday. I did not expect you to say that. I didn't know nothing, and I I was kind of tongue-in-cheek asking that because we never win. But uh, Oh, no. They They win a lot. They're very good. Um, Very good. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, To have a goals, like what, 13-0 versus like a weaker team. And then – but the knockout round is when everything changes. So – they're they're an incredible team and it's live right now um i think in france so check your time zones and i think it's on fox networks here in america is where they're covering it a lot of fs1 i think um but find it uh watch the world cup absolutely incredible i think what was it today's sunday recording i think it was australia was that yesterday just a knockout round games decided on penalty kicks is just heartbreaking but you also watch them play for I think they they played like 30 minutes of extra time and it was just no one was winning this game. Um, but it's it's a phenomenal World Cup. A lot of really strong, strong teams this year, which I feel like kind of isn't the case sometimes. <laughs> um, but the knockout rounds when to watch. So check your local listings, uh, find your country of choice to root for and prepare to be disappointed because <laughs> only one team can win. It's a World Cup. Cool. Uh, we did get a viewer-submitted parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from David or DiCellio on PS4. Uh, David says, uh, give Fallout 76 another chance. While you were right at uh, that at launch, the game was plagued by bugs and connection issues. All of those problems were fixed within the first two months. And since then, the game has just continued to improve. Granted, I'm a huge fanboy of the Fallout franchise, so take what I say with a grain of salt, but I have never seen another game developer listen and respond to their community the way Bethesda has with Fallout 76. There's been an update literally every week, making incremental changes to improve everything in the game. Suggestions and problems that gain a lot of support on Reddit and other forums are routinely addressed very quickly. And those of us that have stuck with the game from the beginning can honestly say that Bethesda is really listening to us and making the game that we all want to play. I think most gamers were excited by the potential of a Fallout MMO from the time it was announced. And yes, we were let down by the initial release of 76, but show me any MMO that hasn't drastically changed in the first year. To me and my friends that have stuck with it from the beginning, the game has always been fun, but I understand why so many people could not overlook the problems at launch. To you and your listeners that felt that way, I say give it another try. 
I really think you will be pleasantly surprised by all the changes and additions. In addition to the necessary fixes, we now have two different dungeons, many new quests, new creatures, dedicated PvP servers, new crafting stations and recipes, and of course, the new Battle Royale mode. I know you see Battle Royale or Nuclear Winter in Fallout parlance. As just a minor thing, I have to say it is so much fun. I am about as good at it as I am at Fortnite or Apex Legends, which is to say not at all, but I am having an absolute blast playing it, and I haven't seen this many new players since launch. Thank you, David. Uh, A heartfelt plea for people to uh, give Fallout 76 another chance. I can't say I'm gonna but I appreciate you asking, <laughs> but maybe it I can say I will. Yeah. And I'd be lying. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, but yeah, no, maybe it'll inspire us. Surprise mechanic. Surprise mechanic. <laughs> all right. My, uh, my parting gift is a kid's show. I have uh, young kids and uh, we've started uh, watching. I didn't do any screens for the first two years of my son's life, but now that he's two and a half, we do some screens here and there. And I have found it surprisingly difficult to find kids shows that I don't want to dagger my eyes out watching. Uh, But one that it was recommended to me and I will pass along is called stinky and dirty. I think it is on, it's on either Netflix or Amazon streaming. I can't remember which, but the reason I bring it up on this show is not just because we have some parents that listen, but also because the structure of the, the, show actually reminds me of an old point and click adventure game. The idea is there are these two anthropomorphized trucks, a uh, stinky and dirty. They're a garbage truck and a, uh, a dump truck, stinky and dirty. Uh, and they have a problem every episode and they try to work out the solution. And it tends to be very much something that reminds me of an old adventure game, old point and click adventure game where they try something and they don't have that. And then there's like a few different items they have around and they try putting them in different combinations to figure it out. And they think things through and try to solve the problem in a variety of ways. And I really love it because it teaches problem solving and lateral thinking and working through a problem and not getting the solution and continuing until you get the solution. So I enjoy showing that to my son, but also it gives me some joy too, because it feels like an old adventure game. So if you've got kids and you're looking for something decent, uh, I recommend stinky and dirty. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Carolyn Pettit and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Uh, thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us in live in real time and making the show better. We appreciate you. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. And thank you to you for listening. We appreciate you, and we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.